Welcome to the U.S.-China Insights Podcast from the National Committee on U.S.-China Relations, featuring short interviews with leading experts on timely issues affecting the U.S.-China relationship. Since the founding of the Chinese Communist Party a century ago, the ideology of communism has taken many different forms in China as the government and economy have evolved over time. Today, we frequently hear China continue to be described as communist, but we also know it has cultivated a market economy with some of the biggest private companies in the world. We interviewed Dr. Meg Rithmere to give us an updated briefing on China's unique political and economic system. Meg Rithmere is F. Warren McFarlane Associate Professor in the Business, Government, and International Economy Unit at Harvard Business School. Her primary expertise is in the comparative political economy of development with a focus on China and Asia. Dr. Rithmere is also a fellow in the National Committee's Public Intellectuals Program. First, we're going to start off with some basics. What is communism? Communism means a lot of different things to a lot of different people, but it's a type of political economic system in which there is quote-unquote public ownership of the means of production which typically means that the state stands for all the people in owning things like money, factories, um, firms of all kinds, instead of having private ownership over the means of production. Um, Communism also has a kind of political element in that it's typically um, represented by communist parties, which tend to not participate um, in multi-party elections typically, but instead have non-democratic or authoritarian governments um, that that govern this particular form of political economy. And so contemporary communist countries include China, Cuba, and North Korea, although all three of those countries um, look very different from one another and have very different um, systems than kind of the one I just described. So given that definition, is China still a communist country? Well, yes and no. Um, So of course, there's not only state ownership over all business in China. The state does own a lot of businesses in China and there's a lot of state influence over business in China. But in the last 40 years in China in particular, there is a vast privately owned economy. So hundreds of thousands, millions of firms that are owned not by people in the state or the government and people who have nothing to do with the state and the government, but people who are private citizens who own their own business. And so there's a huge, what we would call market economy that looks a lot like the kind of economy we have in the United States or elsewhere in China. Politically, um, China is still communist in the sense that it is run by the communist Party of China, the CPC, or some kind, sometimes called the CCP, the Chinese Communist Party. And they do not compete in multi-party elections, and it is an authoritarian regime in which there's no other contestant to political power in China. And so the political system is very communist in the sense that it's organized by a communist party, but the economic system is much more hybrid in that there's both state ownership in the Chinese economy and there's private ownership. Got it. So when China has some firms that are privately owned and some that are publicly owned, how does China interact with those privately owned firms? Well, that's a um, China's the Chinese state's interaction with the non-state owned firms. So the privately owned firms is changing all the time in China. It's always kind of been in flux and it's changing all the time. 
So when Deng Xiaoping took power in 1978, um, the major set of reforms that he put in motion allowed for the rise of private business and markets in a bunch of different places, markets in rural China, markets in urban China, markets in industrial goods. And that's when we saw this flurry of entrepreneurial activity whereby people started to found their own businesses and those businesses were sometimes very creative and successful and they were able to insert themselves into global supply chains and China eventually became the world's factory, this kind of manufacturing powerhouse that we were all very familiar with as, you know, as soon as 20 years ago, really. Um, but then more recently, um, even alongside um, all of those privately owned firms, there has still been a large part of the Chinese economy that continues to be owned by the state or varying levels of the state. So China is a big country, so it has a central government, it has provincial governments, it has municipal governments, and historically all of them have owned their own companies or invested in companies or partly owned companies. And so for a period of time in the late 1990s um, to kind of the present, the dominant firms in China have been owned by the central government. Um, so some of these firms are firms we've heard of like Sinopec, um, Sinochem, um, Costco, these big, large shipping companies, telecommunications companies, extractive industries like oil and gas. Whereas the vast majority of Chinese firms, even now, continue to be owned by private citizens um, who have pretty much no connection to the central government in China in particular. Recently, um, we've seen a number of changes in the Chinese economy. It used to be that private companies kind of were able to do whatever they needed to do to survive. They made their own decisions about their investments and about the kinds of businesses they participated in. But very recently, as many people know, in, in very high profile cases, um, such as large firms like Alibaba um, or Didi Chusing, uh, the Chinese government has taken a much stronger role in saying to private firms, especially very large ones, you can do this, you cannot do this. Um, and so it's a new era of the state kind of asserting itself over private business. Nonetheless, the vast majority of Chinese firms continue to be smaller scale firms, even the ones that are producing things that, you know, I could pick up in my room and hold in my hand here and say, you know, this is made in China. Most of those things are made by companies that are smaller scale that continue to have nothing to do um, with the Chinese government itself. Great. So a majority of firms in China are owned by Chinese citizens, um, but are all Chinese citizens communists? No, um, no. And um, so the Chinese Communist Party is a very large political party. Um, it's the largest political party in the world. About one in every 12 Chinese citizens is a member of the party, which if you do the math makes for quite a large number of people. Um, and the reasons that they join the party um, can be many. Some of them you know, believe in communism um, the way that we might have thought of communism 50 years ago. Others just want to be close to power. Um, others want to know more information about what's going on with the government. And others have idealistic ideas about how to change society and joining the Communist Party is the only way to do it. Um, and so they have, you know, much different reasons um, from each other from what we might think for joining the Communist Party. Um, it is true that a lot of people, especially even private business owners in China are members of the Chinese Communist Party, which is kind of ironic if you think about it, being an entrepreneur and a capitalist, and yet you're a member of a communist political party. Um, but in 2001, the political the, the CCP changed um, to say entrepreneurs are welcome in the party. And so, um, so it's a big tent, as we might say, in political science for who gets to be part of the Chinese Communist Party. But 
increasingly, especially under Xi Jinping, um, it's a narrower set of goals um, that the CCP actually stands for. Um, and that could include and is starting to include things like common prosperity and less inequality, more equality in Chinese society, which kind of harkens back to an old definition of communism that, again, we haven't heard much about in the last 40 years. So uh, this is switching gears a little bit, but um, what institutions and services are funded by the Chinese government? I think we we hear that China is promoting socialism with Chinese characteristics. So so what about socialism? Where does that come into China? So, um, you know, without getting into too much Marxist philosophy, <laughs> which nobody really wants to hear, um, you know, socialism is a kind of form of communism where um, or communism being, you know, radical equality and government ownership over everything. What was meant by market socialism or socialism with Chinese characteristics is that you can have government ownership and government direction over a lot of what happens in Chinese society and in the Chinese economy and what people get from the state and how they live, but you still have markets, which is the Chinese characteristic, meaning we're not doing it the Russian way, we're not doing it the Soviet way, we're doing it the Chinese way, which includes some, some markets and things like that. And so that's been the policy in China for 40 years now. Um, and so this kind of hybrid between state and market. And the way that a lot of people in China and outside of China think about it is that it's a kind of dance where, you know, this five years, the state is, uh, is, is more in control and the market is less in control. And then it switches back and kind of goes back and forth. And so we're currently in a moment um, very much where the state is ascendant, um, but that may not be true in 10 or 15 years. It's hard to say. That was going to exactly be my next question, which okay. is that clearly communism in China has gone through a few transformations over the years. So if is there if there is a trajectory that it is or a course that it's on right now, um, how would you describe that that course? Well, the first thing I would do is note that um, many, many brilliant scholars of China have been incredibly wrong in the past in terms of what's going to happen in China, including very recently. Um, if you look back at what people thought about Xi Jinping in 2013, uh, the refrain from a lot of popular observers and scholars, many, including many people who were, you know, experts on China and, the, and, and Chinese politics were saying he's going to be a reformer, he's going to privatize state-owned enterprises. Um, and of course, we've seen exactly the opposite, which is um, a greater role for the state in a, in a narrowing space uh, for entrepreneurs in the private sector in China. So it's very hard to say. Um, my view right now is that the, um, the, the, the party state in China, which is how we refer to it, right? So you, you, you've heard a lot more people in the public talking about the Chinese Communist Party than, have, than they ever have before. And it's a recognition that, in fact, the government is the party and the party is the government, right? So, um, but the party state, as, as I call it, um, is uh, a little anxious or very anxious, you might say, about things that are going on domestically and things that are going on internationally. And anxiety tends to produce a greater effort and desire for control in China, um, whereas being relaxed about things um, tends to produce some kind of liberalization. And so as long as the party state is very concerned about domestic threats, um, such as they perceive them in different parts of China, um, the threats of financial instability or global threats, um, closed markets in the West, economic sanctions and things like that, it's going to produce a greater role for the state, um, which can result in a kind of vicious cycle because then the greater the role for the state, 
the more people outside of China distrust what's going on in China, and the more they then close access to, to global supply chains and things like that, which then makes the Communist Party even more anxious. So speaking of distrust outside of China, I think we hear in the news in the US, in the media, from politicians, from regular people, um, a lot of the time when they talk about China, they say communist China. What do you think people are referring to? What do they mean when they're saying communist China? Is it exactly, you know, what you've described as kind of the textbook definition and how it's appearing in China? Or is there kind of a, a political meaning to it? My sense is that when people talk about communist China and the communist governments in China, they're trying to um, underscore the political distance between China's system and the system that we're familiar with in the United States, um, where we do have multi-party elections and we do embrace private ownership over, um, over most of the economy, right? Um, and so it's interesting because even though China's always been communist, actually, it's never not been communist since 1949. It's been communist. The Chinese Communist Party has been in charge, you know, for more than 70 years now. And so um, the entire time, right, it's been communist, but only recently have people like to call it communist China when they talk about it. And partly that's because I think many in the United States um, are disappointed with the direction that China has taken. They perhaps thought that integrating China into global networks or investing in China or opening markets to China would somehow generate a system that looks more like our system. And it hasn't done that. You know, whether it was ever going to do that is beyond the scope of what I can talk about right now, but um, it hasn't done that. And so I think they're, they're saying communism as a way to make sure that people know um, that from their view, China is a system that's very different from our system. Great, I'm gonna ask one more question. Does the fact that China is communist mean that interactions between the US and China are bound to be negative or that the two countries are fundamentally incompatible for positive interactions because China is communist and we are capitalist? Many Americans are very used to a kind of Cold War framing of politics. Um, so many, especially who were you know born before the fall of the Berlin Wall and um, the, the end of the Soviet Union, right, are used to thinking of communism and capitalism or democracy as being fundamentally opposed to one another. And in a sense, they were, right? Um, and partly because in the Cold War, the Soviet Union um, was attempting to internationalize its project of communism. So convince every country in the world that it should have a system that looked a lot like the system of the Soviet Union, which was of course communism and the United States um, was committed to making sure every country in the world um, thought that it should embrace a system that looks more like capitalism and democracy, which is like the American system. It is not my view at all, and I think most people would agree that China wants to turn anyone into looking like China. In fact, I think that if we look at most of the propaganda that the party state itself puts out, it's about China being unique, China being its own model, and it's not really available for export for a variety of reasons that have to do with China's uh, population size, its history, its uh, historical endowments with different things, but it doesn't want the whole world to look like China. Um, so this idea that we necessarily have to be in conflict in China with China because of their different system 
in the past, there was an ideology to that. And, and I think there's still ideology in both China and in the United States, but China does not have a global mission of converting every country in the world um, to being a system that looks like its own, um, far from that. And so it, to me, it does not seem like it's necessary to think that because China's communist and we're not communist, um, that that kind of conflict is inevitable. All right, those are, are all my sure? questions. Thank you so much, Meg. Great sure. to meet Bye. you. Bye. For more interviews, videos, and links to events like this one, visit us at www.ncuscr.org.